Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. This episode is titled, The Role of Physical Space in Corporate Learning and Development. We are joined by Lisa Gary, Chief Learning Officer of Train Technologies, Dr. Heidi Scott, Chief Learning Officer of HR.com, and Chris Lapata, Workplace Client Leader at BHDP in Charlotte. I am your host, Brian Trainer, a Workplace Strategist for BHDP, and I'll let our guests introduce themselves further. So I am Lisa Gary, and I lead Enterprise Learning for Train Technologies. Train Technologies is all about delivering sustainability through innovation and heating and cooling. So we really look at heating and cooling for buildings, homes, and transport. And our company is 35,000 employees worldwide. We've also signed a, a very big commitment to the environment where we will reduce our carbon footprint, our own company, by one gigaton. It's a humongous amount of reduction in carbon emissions by 2030. And so that's pretty exciting to be a part of that. And Train Technologies achieving this goal actually removes the emissions for Italy, France, and the United Kingdom combined. Wow. Thank you for that. I'm Dr. Heidi Scott. I'm the Chief Learning Officer at HR.com, and we have a member association of 1.7 million HR professionals who belong to HR.com, and we've been around for 20 years and have continued to, to remain focused on bringing education, training, resources, tools to HR professionals everywhere, you know, industry-wide and really diverse roles across the array and functional areas of, of HR everywhere. So I, I'm, I love my job. I get the opportunity to lead a team of instructional designers, and we build some pretty innovative, unique learning experiences that really help HR professionals get where they want to go in their career. And sometimes open and unlock doors for them, as well as have a, a real positive impact on workforces globally. When I look at my role, I think it really spans across what I would say our, our learning ecosystem, and by that I mean technology and people, and then also processes. That's a great overview. And then we also have Chris Lapata. You want to introduce yourself, sir? Yeah, thank you, Brian. My name is Chris Lapata. I'm a client leader with BHDP Architecture. I think an architectural firm that takes a, a very unique approach to understanding the worker, the workplace, and the role that space plays in driving value. Um, in my role, I get to engage with a, a lot of fantastic companies to learn about how they're trying to drive organizational culture through the behaviors and the role that, that space plays in, in helping support those behaviors. I also get to do a little facilitation with our clients. I get to do some research and scribble out some articles. I was very fortunate to be able to interview Heidi and Lisa for this article, The Role of Physical Space in Corporate Learning and Development. And so it's just one of several topics that BHDP is continually looking into, not only engaging with the end user, understanding how they, they need to utilize space, but also bringing in our resources, our design professionals, our architects, and really helping to create fantastic spaces for our clients. 
And this is unique because we're all in different locations. So this is kind of an interesting experiment in remote working, but we can talk maybe about remote learning later. But the first thing I want to start with at the very beginning, Lisa and Heidi, you're both chief learning officers. What is a chief learning officer and what are some of the core responsibilities? We'll go with Lisa first. How did you come to this role? Is this new profession? Is it an old profession? Help me out here. So I'll start with sort of how I came into the L&D space, learning and development space. So I'm definitely going to date myself here, but I was actually recruited right off my college campus, go Virginia Tech, (laughs) uh, uh, into a year-long leadership program for what was then a bank that was located in Charlotte, North Carolina. And, you know, here I was a young college student. I had a great undergrad experience and I needed that first company to actually give me some skills. (laughs) So I realized early on in my career that if you target a very specific role that's very critical to a company and invest in that role with development, it makes a huge difference in the business results, the commitment of the employees and actually creates the culture that you want to create. And then in banking was deregulated in the early 90s. And so that little North Carolina bank started buying up lots of local and regional banks. And they asked for volunteers to train these acquired banks. And so I volunteered. And so I got into training really first from an experience of realizing just how impactful it is to have an early experience like that. And then also just to get into the the training environment. I have a marketing background in undergrad and actually a master's as well in, in business. So I've always looked at learning as a business, as a product and and managing it via products and services and portfolios. You know, I really see the chief learning officer, which I'm also the chief learning officer for training technologies. It's all about ensuring that your company has the right skills and the right culture to win in the marketplace. And that's super important because it definitely needs to be tied into the business strategy and the business objectives of what you're trying to achieve. I'll stop there and let you take it back, Brian. Lisa, thanks for that. Heidi, same question. How did you come to this and what are the roles in your purview? Yeah, it's funny. As I was listening to you, Lisa, I thought, oh, this is just fascinating. I love learning about people and kind of the the backstory of how did did you get where you are? And uh, for me, I, I started out as a middle school public school teacher in Washington State. So I went from teaching middle schoolers, which I actually loved, and loved making learning fun. And I actually did not like school as a kid. Uh, As a fourth grader, I remember coming home and telling my mom, if they just taught us everything we needed to know, it would only take 45 minutes (laughs) because I counted. (laughs) And my mom was like, today she's like, I didn't know what to do with you, you know? So that's really um, the philosophy and the underpinning, even today, in everything as I approach my work and as I approach and support a team of senior instructional designers who each spin a couple of really large-scale projects and certifications that we're developing, I'm always thinking from the lens of the learner, is this going to be enjoyable? Yeah, there are very clear objectives we have to hit. We're targeting this training to be aligned to business goals and objectives, but there's no reason this can't be enjoyable. There's no reason this shouldn't be engaging and personally relevant. Anyway, I went from being a classroom teacher, got a master's in education, and moved into administration and was a principal, and then crossed a great divide into the business setting, into being a curriculum development manager for a company, and, and just things just kind of along the way led in the corporate world from a training director into a CLO role, and in there, 
before I even went, had a, a training director position, I had a colleague who asked me, who had just finished her PhD, and actually she was my boss at the time, and she said, so when are you going to get your PhD? <laughs> and I said, I, I don't know. And in my head, I'm thinking, well, I've never even considered that. I've never even thought about that. And what would that do for me? And what would I want to do this? And so yeah. it was this conversation that, that kind of stirred a little bit of like, that could be kind of fun. And so when I went into the doctoral program at Gonzaga University, it wasn't because I wanted, people would say, what are you going to do when you get your PhD? And I was like, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing because I love the company I was with and love my job. That stepping stone really opened a number of doors for me. And one of those was into the role of the CLO. My PhD is in leadership. When I look at uh, the role of a CLO, you know, what, what is that role? What, what should you be doing? And, and of course, it differs a little bit between organizations and entities. But it's incumbent upon us to be well connected to our organization's business objectives and goals. And everything we do must be aligned to that. Everything we ask our teams to do, they need to see and know what they're doing matters because it all rolls up to the vision, uh, the business vision of the of the company. Any training that we develop has to be developed in such a way that it's measuring metrics that matter. And we hear that term, no, metrics that matter, but it is actually a term that works. Sure. <laughs> you know, are we measuring the right things? Are we measuring levels of business results, not just did people like it? And one other responsibility, and then Brian, I'll hand it back to you, is we have to know the trends in learning we have to know the, the learning needs and organizations and then we have to know what are the learning tools out there at our disposal gotcha thanks for that so what you were saying though is fascinating because you talk about trends in learning and one of my questions is about trends in learning chris had mentioned something about micro learning what is micro learning is that a trend oh. I'll take a stab at that one, Lisa, if, if you're good with that. I think micro-learning, it's nothing new. I think it, maybe five years ago, we might have thought, eh, it's just going to last. The idea of providing short bursts of learning that's much more focused on members pulling content toward them as opposed to us just pushing all sorts of courses to them. Huh. Couldn't have said it better than what Heidi, it is short bursts of learning and you know, there's some research out that our attention spans are getting shorter and shorter and the speed of business is increasing and increasing and one of the things that I always caution in our organization, it can become a buzzword like, well, let's just do some micro learning and my question is, well, what enduring skills are you going to create with that and really what development are you, are you installing in your organization? So. Microlearning has a place, absolutely, and we've actually used it as a, I talk a lot about learning stickiness, to be reminded of the learning that you've had, we use microlearning that way. I always say curate before you create. You know, there's a lot of content out there that's available, but people don't have time to go look for it. And right now we had two requests that came in. One is about leading virtual teams, because all of a sudden these managers now don't have employees sitting in their offices or working remotely and, and then how do you work remotely? If you've not done that before, there's a lot of complexity to that, just both emotionally, physically, and uh, a lot of other Ali's <laughs> in that whole thing. And then the stress that everyone is under with this scare that we're having with coronavirus pandemic, our technicians go out and create microlearning when they solve a problem on one of our big chillers or out working on a big piece of equipment, they actually create a quick 
little video podcast and post it to their channel and they support each other that way and it's all meta tagged so they can find the content when they figure something out and they they're training each other so that's some kind of ways we're using technology both from a technical perspective and from a professional employee uh, development perspective Lisa, I think that's great yeah that social sharing is huge and I think that's that's awesome you guys are doing that leveraging and engaging the the folks out there in the field. Absolutely. You know, and the, and the generation that's coming in now, they're so used to creating micro-learning, right? They don't think about it micro-learning, but they mm-hmm. think about it as <laughs> little short bursts of uh, actually something pretty think, salient for someone. I think the best analogy I've come up with is micro-learning to really anyone in a professional setting would be similar to me saying, <clears throat> I need to go figure out how to, change the oil in my GMC Canyon truck. <laughs> what am I going to do? I'm going to go to YouTube. I'm going to put in the search criteria. I'm going to find the shortest, well-rated piece of content that I can watch. And I'm going to consume only as much as I think I need to go and do that task. That's the way I'm coming at microlearning as we develop microlearning pieces. No, I don't want an assessment or an exam or a quiz, but rather set them up with a strategy to go and do whatever it was that they just learned about. You definitely addressed that issue regarding the training to application gap. So we know that there are costs involved. If if you sit somebody in a room and you go through a bunch of training and they can't get on the job and start to apply that knowledge quickly, there are costs involved. One of the other individuals I interviewed, Dr. Maggie Redling with Avid Exchange, she also brought up the the generational differences. Lisa, I think you mentioned it. And she mentioned that corporations need to consider generational aspects of learning. Avid Exchange sees that more experienced employees kind of gravitate toward that classroom-based learning, while newer employees look for that high-touch, hands-on, discovery-based approach, like you said, going out to find a video and then being able to apply it right away. Does does that apply for your organizations or do you see other differences amongst generations? We just did an assessment. We have what we call an ADP program, an accelerated development program. So this is college students that are recruited right off their campus and come into a three-year long program that they rotate through. So they have an incredible onboarding development experience coming in to train technologies. And I wanted to know how they wanted to learn after that program. And so we did a full assessment on that population. So this is definitely that newer generation coming in. It was a mix between both. They still wanted the classroom. They wanted to feel connected. You know, there's still a time and a place for classroom and for people to come together. And technology is great, but when you need to actually practice or apply or have a safe environment where you can practice and apply. That is challenging to do it if you're by yourself on a technology. We heard from this population that they wanted both. They wanted to be able to go and find what they needed and find just enough and have it at their fingertips. And then they also wanted access to leaders where they could get the mentoring and coaching that they desired for their careers. Yeah, I I think there's never a replacement for the value of face-to-face learning. But in today's day and age, especially today, as we sit here with businesses across the world dealing with moving all training in some sort of capacity to be remote for right now as we handle the coronavirus. It's a new way of thinking. It's a new way of life. Mm -hmm. And I think for organizations, regardless of the generations within them, 
doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like we're, we're going to have, we may have some old dogs that are going to be forced <laughs> to learn some new tricks and, and that's okay. I mean, there, there could be some, some younger folks within companies, even within L and D teams that could really step up. I mean, here's a great opportunity to step up sure. and bring some innovation. And I think that we will find very rapidly. I know we have a, a short course in production right now on five strategies to effectively lead remote teams. It's not just a tangible do these five things. There are definitely those tacit skills. Your EQ has to be a lot higher in many ways <laughs> yep. to do that effectively in a virtual setting. You had said old dogs. And, and I wonder, have you ever experienced a mindset resistance within learning or are most people coming with open eyes and hearts? A lot of times leaders will come and say, I need a training program. They literally think their answer is training is going to solve their problem. And so approaching it from a perspective of what is the actual problem, and typically it's a multi-pronged solution. It, learning is never the singular answer for ensuring that there's the results that this business leader is requesting. I, I do think, though, that people still want community. I, I think people are searching for community and they want to feel a part of something. And I think that's why we gravitate to pulling people into a classroom. So I think the challenge for L&D professionals now is to make the virtual feel as close to feeling of a community and feeling a part of something as the classroom does. Heidi mentioned earlier about the skill set. It is an absolute skill set that has to be developed. You, to do virtual training, virtual facilitation requires a different skill set than standing up in front of a group of people. And I was actually thinking about this too from a perspective of location, like making it a safe place for people to be able to do virtual learning most most of our employees live in cubes. They're in open spaces and you're trying to do your virtual learning. You've got background noise, people beside you, people walking in and out, you know, those kinds of things. So making it a comfortable and safe place to, to learn and to share and to be open. Those are some challenges we're facing. I've got a question, Brian. I mean, we, we touched upon a couple trends, you know, the micro learning trend, as well as the integration of technologies that allow people to, to share from a distance. And one of the other trends I saw as I was doing some research for the article was this trend around gamification, a term that you know kind of describes the use of elements such as competition, scorekeeping, rewards-based, to kind of encourage learning and engagement. Has that trend hit at HR.com or at Train Technologies? I would perhaps rather say not gamification is something we try to embed in our training, but it's attributes of gamification, attributes of engaging, attributes of immersing. I think sometimes people get tripped up on the word or the term gamification kind of conveys or connotes silliness or frivolous fun. I push away from that and say, boy, if we can make it engaging and if a leaderboard helps and it's the right fit for the context and content and the target learners, then great, let's use it. But it's not that we're always gonna say, well, every every training needs to have, especially in the virtual realm, needs to have some aspect of competition or fun factor that can be called gamified learning. Yeah, I think Heidi said it around the, just engaging the learner. You know, a quick, quick example, we have an annual compliance 
training and the whole company goes through it and everybody moans and groans <laughs> to do their compliance training. And all we did was put a leaderboard that showed how you were doing comparing to your, pe your peers. And all of a sudden it became a little bit of a competition to answer those questions and be above the, <laughs> above your peers. I think, you know, when you make learning fun and engaging, those are the things you want to it makes it memorable and then learning sticks more. So it's really important that L&D folks are really looking at that. Absolutely. I could also say as strong of a tool that gamification can be or strategy, on the flip side, self-reflection. Mm -hmm. Time and space to actually reflect on yes. your learning yeah. and have yeah. arrive at your own aha moment. That's huge, but it's so rarely leveraged. Very seldom do we provide deep and accurate, piercing, self-reflective questions that cause us to pause and think and reflect and connect the dots in our learning and then move forward. I think technology has changed learning in a huge way where even uh, 15 years ago, being smart was how easily and well and thoroughly could you read something or hear something possibly see it, but, but primarily hear and, and see and have it saturate your brain and have total recall three, six, nine months later, a year later, five years later. And I think that was how we measured how much you learned and how, quote, mm. smart you were. And now I think that adept learning and, and, quote, how smart you are is how quickly can you find what you need yes. to know? Not how much do you have packed away in your brain, but how quickly can you find it? Even for us, you know, as we develop training, yeah, there's core concepts we want to make sure that people understand. But we also want to make sure we're, we're providing avenues for them to know where to go. What, what do you search for? How will you recall this? How will you dredge up more information or fresh information? What we learned today is going to be out of date tomorrow. So it's really critical that we prepare people to know where to right. go search for current up-to-date information. One thing you just highlighted, Heidi, was kind of a concept known as social capital within an organization. You may not have the answer to, to every problem, but you know exactly who to go to within your organization to get that solution or get the information you need quickly. And without those social connections within an organization, you might not have the understanding of who to go to for those solutions quickly. So thanks for highlighting that. Yeah. Sure. The other thing that around technology is that technology is, it is pervasive and it's getting cheaper and cheaper, faster and faster and more available. And I, I was actually listening in on a, it's actually the uh, Deloitte CLO conference. They actually have it in their Westlake facility, which is an incredible facility where the partners agreed to spend $300 million on their facility. They had the click it or brick it they decided to brick it and create this place where they bring all of their their leaders to be developed. They did their whole conference virtually. They just said, with the coronavirus, we're just going to pull everybody onto a Zoom, and off we went. But there was a presentation on enduring human capabilities, and her whole premise was that technology and what can be automated, and now really learning and development departments need to really focus on those skills that are enduring so empathy creativity you know teamwork the things that you cannot automate and really investing time in that self-awareness we were talking about reflection so all those human capabilities are going to become 
even more important for the future. You talked about EQ, so that emotional quotient or emotional intelligence and also empathy. Are there ways to teach that? I have two chief learning officers here. Are you teaching empathy? You know, one of the things that we've we've been teaching is listening skills, which is the first sort of plank to even get to empathy. You have to be an incredible listener. And then we do have some in our leadership development. We don't do it across the board, but in some of our key talent programs, we talk about listening and empathy and leadership. It's not a pervasive right. thing. <laughs> it's more targeted. Thing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, teaching empathy, it would be a byproduct or uh, woven into training. Right now we're developing a multicultural competency certificate of learning. And in there, there is a great deal of information around how do you ask the right questions, how do you listen well, and tied to that would be compassion and empathy. And I also think that modeling that from the way of a facilitator, and these are the virtual certificate of learning, but in that, they're connected via Zoom. I work remotely, my team is remote, I live on Zoom. I've been working with people for a year and I've never met them face-to-face, -face. but I see them two and three times a day. I mean, I feel very connected. I mean, I love these people and they're very dear to me because we spend so much time together. I'm looking at them, we're conversing, I know their body language. That aspect of knowing and seeing people, uh, we can model compassion and empathy. And when I look at training our facilitators to go and deliver a course and know how to interact with our learners, yeah, there's definitely a piece of, of compassion and empathy. Yeah, that makes sense. One of the things we wanted to talk about, too, while we have you is um, the role of the physical space as it uh, attains to continued education and learning. Lisa, what role in your mind does the physical space, because I know we're dealing with virtual now because we have to, but if things go back to normal, <laughs> what role does the physical space play with corporate learning today? What I mentioned earlier about is as virtual learning continues, I think it will continue to be a drive for business. I know there's wear and tear on people having to travel in and there's lost time there where they're away from their jobs. So there's more and more pressure on the L&D department to deliver more and more virtually. So I don't, that is definitely not going away and will be a trend that will continue and the challenge will be to make it wherever that employee is having that virtual training, it's great space for them to be in. So at the individual level and then physical space, this is the way it is in my company is that the learning center is really the heartbeat of the company space, having creative, innovative space. I think learning's role is not just about the formal, let me go into this particular formal learning event. I think it becomes more of the place where they come together to solve problems, to innovate, to create, and build teams, sure. too. Is that function also serving as an onboarding function or a attraction of talent, Lisa? Yeah. Are you bringing potential yeah. candidates through that space? Absolutely. In fact, in our learning center actually has our products in it as well. So when you walk in, you you get a sense of the products too. It actually has an interactive, you can go and learn about the products. So, and I also think it's a symbolic place that it shows that you are dedicating space for learning. Learning is important and having a company invest in that physical space, I think is a 
true testament, you know, to actually saying, you know, I, I will invest and I will dedicate space and I will have a place where employees can come uh, to learn and develop and grow. Thanks for that. Heidi, have you seen, I know you're with HR.com and you stand up a lot of packages. What impact have you seen place have on learning? To me, there's never a substitution for the value of face-to-face. -face. And I think that a, a great physical space is what I would call like, you know, icing on the cake. It's unexpected. We can't guarantee it. We can't even assume that a physical space is going to be conducive to an ideal learning environment. But boy, when learners have that, I think it really helps and aids the whole learning process, the ability to have high collaboration, um, to develop a safe place for learning uh, for that group. Uh, those are attributes that are much more controllable inside of the physical environment, physical space for training. The other benefit for physical space would be the ability to set those ground rules. I, I call it, we're going to go oh. dark, like no square things. Anything with a screen is square. It could be an iPad or a a computer or a phone or when they come into the training room to know then there's no square things all square things are shut off and you can control that environment we're in the virtual setting we can try to be as focused as we can try to be as engaging we can try to make sure that there's reasons for people in even inside of a cohort inside of a con web conference with a facilitator but in the physical setting we if we set that parameter and that guideline that I think really mm. increases the value of the learning experience. That's something that unfortunately in the virtual setting, I haven't, you know, you're already on a square thing and you already have all sorts of reminders distracting you. One of my questions was how technology has impacted that and organically we've touched just about any of it. Are there any other things? So those are some significant trends. Has there been any significant trends that have impacted you or any pearls of wisdom you'd like to share before we wrap up here in a little bit? I think one thing that I was reflecting on is I spent a lot of my time thinking about how the culture really perpetuates learning and where are the ways that we can ensure that learning is happening organically and really ensuring that your culture actually perpetuates that. So we've talked about physical space and we've talked about technology, but I think you know leaders play a big role in creating the learning culture and the chief learning officer actually plays a big role in ensuring that that gets perpetuated in your in your company as well. And we've spent a lot of time, and my team spends a lot of time really working this, and Heidi's mentioned it a couple of times, but learning ecosystems. And we think about those as particular groups that can be self-forming or actually intentionally formed. And that's another place where learning happens when people that have a common interest, common need, they'll come together and create their own learning environment, it's a beautiful thing to witness that learning can happen anywhere if you create the right environment, the right ecosystems for that learning to occur. So learning ecosystem is fascinating. Well, Lisa, to build on something you said, we all know, everyone on this call knows that how important it is to engage your, your talent because your, your people are your number one operating expense. You talked about, you know, people being able to do a lot of peer-to-peer -peer training. If there are one or two things, and, and Heidi, if you could chime in as well, if there are one or two things that you could recommend for helping an organization create a culture of learning. Well, one, one of the best ways that I've seen is that where you really encourage your leaders to talk about the mistakes that they've made and what they learned from those mistakes. You know, that's sort of, sort of tough because pe leaders don't want to say, oh, I'm, 
Screw yeah. Up. yeah. <laughs> but they, but when they do, and especially if it's at the very tone of the top, then it allows the permission for people to really learn from each other in that way. And then the other thing is we're always solving problems, and I think that's one of the reasons why I love, I love the space that both Heidi and I get to basically make a living doing in the L&D space. But really what we're doing is solving problems every day for the organization and learning and development happens to be the way we help solve those problems. And every time you're solving a problem, you're learning something. And so I think, um, I think sharing those and having whereas where you actually pause and say, we brought it up earlier in the call about reflection, but even pausing and saying, what did I learn as an individual? What have I personally learned? Then what is the team learned? And then what's the organization learning? Just having that cadence around problems that you're solving perpetuates that learning system that, that is self-sustaining. That's great. Thank you, Lisa. Heidi? Yeah, I th- I'd say the culture of learning, I, I think if we expect it, that's even that mindset. Well, we're, we're, we're hiring continual learners. That's the expectation. And I think most, most mm-hmm. companies and most organizations would say, yeah, we want continual learners. Well, then put your money where your mouth is. If we expect it, then we need to provide space and time for it. You're also going to have an opportunity to teach your peers. So, you know, are they learning? Are they sharing? Are they teaching? I think the other aspect of creating a strong culture of learning, one of our values as a company is fail quickly. You know, learn from your mistakes and yeah. move on. I feel like we could probably keep talking about this for another hour or so because I know I'm fascinated, but we want to be respectful of everyone's time. So I would say thank you both for joining us for this. I know this has been a little unusual, even for us. We were experimenting with the calling in, but then it became more it became more critical that uh, we were all remote. Any other thoughts, Lisa, before we go? No, I just enjoyed, and Heidi, I enjoyed getting to know you through this call, so it's great to connect mm-hmm. with a colleague in the industry, and Chris and Brian, and Ariel, thank you for making this as easy as possible. It's been a, it's just been a delight. It's been a highlight <laughs> of my, uh, of my first three days of the, oh, of the week, for that's sure. That's great. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Heidi, same thing. Yeah, I, no, I echo all of those uh, points of gratitude, and, and I'm uh, grateful to get to participate in this and Lisa was great to visit with and get to know you a little bit. Chris, what about you? Any parting thoughts for us? First of all, I cannot thank Heidi and Lisa enough for taking the time out of your busy days. Probably the most fun part of my job where I get to continually learn, continue to explore different topics and how it impacts what we do as as an architectural and design firm to make sure that we're really focusing on the people. And that's what BHDP does. We design for people. We can't do it without keeping the people at the center of the issues. Thank you for joining Trends and Tensions presented by BHDP for this episode, The Role of Physical Space in Corporate Learning and Development. Thank you to our guests, Lisa Gary, Chief Learning Officer of Train Technologies, Dr. Heidi Scott, Chief Learning Officer of HR.com, and Chris Lapata, Workplace Client Leader at BHDP based in Charlotte. If you appreciate what you have heard, please rate, subscribe, and give us a review. I am Brian Trainer, your host, and I hope you'll join us for another episode of Trends and Tensions to see what topics drive design.